Good morning. I'm Sanaa and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This month, I am pleased to present special programming for you. I'm so excited to present a few featured episodes from Black is America, an award-winning podcast highlighting little-known African-American figures and other stories. Joining me each Monday this month is the creator of the show and Memphis's own Dominic Lawson. Before launching Black is America, Dominic was the creator and host of the Startup Life podcast, which provided listeners with the edge they need in building their businesses and climbing the corporate ladder. The Startup Life featured interviews with an array of entrepreneurs and business owners and was syndicated nationally and internationally. Currently, Dominic is the podcast producer, editor, and host for Meadows Behavioral Healthcare. He hosts the long-running series Beyond Theory podcast that brings in-depth conversations with first-hand insights from the people on the front lines of mental health and addiction recovery. He is also the host of the award-winning podcast Recovery Replay, which journals personal stories of recovery. Welcome, Dominic. Thank you so much for having me again this week. I really, It really is an honor. Yes. Well, I am so excited. I mean, how could I not have you on the show? I'm just so glad that we are able to collaborate in this way because, again, I can't say enough good things about Black is America. The episodes are phenomenal, and I'm so glad that here we are also in a season two of Black is America. So very exciting. Absolutely. You know, it's 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 been a, a long journey. Uh, you know, you was reading the bio and I'm always just kind of like, who is she talking about? She can't be talking about me. But but no, it's, uh, you know, Black is America. And we've talked about this. Uh, you know, it, it's very important to get these messages and stories out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to be here again for uh, season two, because uh, thankfully you didn't get canceled for season one. So that's great. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, my wife is the executive producer. So hey. uh, so she so she has the, the power to say yay or nay. So she okay. said yay for season two. All so, right. I better keep, so I better keep winning these awards. So is that what it is? Yes, <laughs> we need that, the contract renewed. Yeah, get that contract <laughs> renewed. But no, uh, I, she, like myself, think these stories are very important. So I'm very honored that you would have us to present some of these uh, these conversations and these stories uh, to your audience and to your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Such important stories. I know last week we were able to listen to the phenomenal story of Tom Lee, who Memphis's Tom Lee Park is named after. So a name that is familiar to a lot of Memphians. Um, but now folks have a greater understanding of exactly who Tom Lee was. So if you missed that episode, you definitely have to go back and listen to it. Um, but I, what I really loved was that focus on courage. That's what stood out to me, that everyday courage that Tom Lee had, the courage that we all could tap into. Um, and that's Absolutely. what I found really inspiring about his story. And, and I think that's the beauty of, that's why we named it, you know, the everyday hero, you know what I mean? Because I think all of us have this thing in us to see, you know, somebody, you know, being wrong, somebody in, in dire need of help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all have that need to where something in our brain, something in our heart, probably even as well, mm-hmm. just kind of takes over. It's like, you know what, that person is in need of help. And so with that story of Tom Lee, we really wanted to highlight that. They're like, hey, like, you know, you can be uh, anywhere at any time and somebody's going to be uh, in need of your help. And so you can be that person to come uh, to that rescue, to their aid, uh, mm-hmm. and, and be that person, be that champion for that person. Yeah. I mean, Tom Lee accomplished just a major physical feat, um, which is also linked to this week's featured episode as well. I don't want to jump into it or give it away too much just yet. I want to actually start here. Dominic, do you like to roller skate? <laughs> I, I do, you know, grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, grew up particularly in the Westwood area. So okay. if you're from the Westwood area in the, in the 80s and 90s, then you're very familiar with Crystal Palace. All right. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, <laughs> we used to often go to Crystal Palace on Thursday night because I believe Thursday night was like like church gospel night or something like that, right? And so, <laughs> you know, they would play all the, the 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 nice gospel music and stuff like that. But on but on Saturdays it, it got a little got a little crunk, got a little ratchet, if you will. And so they, they switched up the tune a little bit. So Saturdays was on and popping too. But Crystal Palace definitely had some fond memories there as well. But also uh just kind of on the other end of the city, East End Skating Ring mm-hmm. was also a place I used to go to. Uh, often but yeah definitely 
had some times and some moments at Crystal Palace. <laughs> no doubt. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I learned something new about you. So like, how good of a roller skater are you? Like, are you the type of person who's like, can do all the dancing? Are you uh, like synchronized roller skating? Like what, what's the level of skill here? Now I was, now you would, I would never be mistaken for a, an extra on roll bounce okay. or anything like that. So, so let's just <laughs> knock that out the part, but I know how not to fall. And, okay. and I, was a, I was a very proficient skater, right? You know, I can, okay. I can skate, you know, turn, uh, go backwards a little bit, not a whole okay. lot, you know, but, but I was never like my, my uncle Tony, my uncle Tony, Jesus is a crystal palace <laughs> legend. He was that type who could be mistaken for a roll bounce extra okay. and like, you know, that all oh, skating and, and stuff like that. And, 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 and doing the thing with the weaving in between people and stuff like that. Yeah. He was, he was, uh, yeah, he, he was pretty good. Him and his, his crew, they were really good. Oh, yeah. Really okay. Good. All right. I just had to get a sense of it because today we're talking about Ledger Smith, um, who, do, who did something pretty phenomenal on skates. And so I had to ask, and I'll just go ahead and put it out there. You know, I can stand up on some skates and that's about as far as we're going to get. <laughs> um, so I'll just go ahead and say that. Okay, people, I'm, no. Hey, that, hey, that's, that's better than a, than a lot of other people. People. Some people can't even do that. So that kudos to you on that one. Uh, I'm getting anxiety just thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> but for today, you have this great story about Ledger Smith. So can you give us just a little, a little snippet or a little insight into what our listeners are in for today? You know, when I first heard of the story of Ledger Smith, the first thing that came to mind was like, this can't be real. Like, this cannot be real. Like, nobody has done that. But uh, the, the story of Ledger Smith is just somebody who, uh, you know, had a, a passion for civil rights in the mm -hmm. 60s. Uh, and, and definitely, uh, this is a time where not many people know that, like, when it came to uh, civil rights and integrating, like, buses and, and lunch counters and stuff mm -hmm. like that, one of the biggest impacts or one of the biggest things that we wanted to have uh desegregated was places of leisure. This is like your your roller rinks or your amusement parks, swimming pools, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. We kind of talked about that in the, the Tom Lee episode. And so him doing, you know, with his feet on roller skates as it relates to uh, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, wanted to highlight that part. Mm -hmm. And so when I heard that story, I was like, I can do something really unique uh, yeah. with this story, right? And, and so I wanted to take on that challenge. And I think uh, recreated something really special and really wonderful and uh, you know uh, just kind of highlighted a little bit you know even some of the family members of, of Ledger Smith reached out and said they love the storytelling <laughs> of, of, of how we did it and so it was it was really fascinating uh, to uh, to hear that story but to kind of put some uh, Black Blackest America seasoning on it was really oh, yeah. uh, awesome to kind of do it was awesome to do. Yes. Like you, when I heard the story, of course, when I heard this episode, I was like, no way. You're telling me that this man roller skated all the way to Washington, D.C. I have to know more. Um, right. And I was just really captivated by his story. But also, I think I love that reminder that the civil rights movement was about everyday life, right? We think about kind of these big, kind of what folks were fighting for around these big ideas of justice, these big ideas of equality. But it was also about that everyday experience of being a person in this world and being to move about and enjoy, you know, your everyday life. Right. And you bring up a important thing, Sana, because I think a lot of times when we hear uh, certain movements, even today, we always, you know, sometimes at least I always have the question is, what is it that we want? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think from the in, in the 50s and 60s, uh, not just with Martin Luther King, but also with A. Philip Randolph and mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and others, they really and uh, uh, I, I can't think of the organizer's name. I'm having a brain fart. But when we think about some of the organizers and highlighting exactly two President Kennedy, this is what we need. This is what we are asking for, right? You know, and, and those little minute details. I, I think it's important that when you have a movement, when you have a situation of fighting for justice, those little small minute parts, they matter. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think that's, you know, sometimes get lost often 
uh, when we have these grand ideas, we want justice. Well, how do you define justice, right? Mm -hmm. So I, that's one of the important things I definitely wanted to highlight uh, in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I think you did it so well from, again, bringing in that focus on leisure, right? Desegregation of leisure spaces, whether it's roller skating rinks or amusement parks or swimming pools, um, but also linking it to these bigger ideas of what we kind of typically think about when we think of the, the 1960s civil rights uh, movement. And particularly in this case here, Ledger Smith is, is rolling on towards DC for the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. And again, just masterful storytelling. Um, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, it is. It's so true. It's so good. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but I, I love the incorporation of, you know, different voices and, and really focusing on what this March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom was about, because I think Again, from, from this current standpoint where we are today, people are familiar with this language of March on Washington. And again, they kind of think like, oh, people are just marching on Washington <laughs> um, to fight for their rights. But without that understanding of, there was a detailed list of demands that people wanted. And it very much was focused on some of these economic aspects, right? The ability to get a job, the ability to have training for jobs, the ability to not have discrimination in employment, but also, again, that focus on desegregating public accommodations as well. Absolutely. And I wanted to highlight, you know, you brought up some of the voices. I wanted to highlight, you know, at a granular level, at a micro level, some of the stories uh, mm -hmm. that are brought up in the episode to show how those people were affected at that micro level, you know, yeah. it's one thing to have these grand ideas of what justice is. It's even uh, another idea to have those minute details like we talked about earlier. But mm -hmm. when you have that story that highlights the impact of what people are experiencing at that micro level, that, mm -hmm. that adds a whole nother element of advocation. That has a whole nother element of advocacy, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. And, and so I, I think uh, it, it's important to to highlight those stories because I can tell you stats and figures and dates mm -hmm. and stuff like that all the time. But if I get you to understand a story of how the impact made somebody feel or how they uh, were, were basically impacted, mm -hmm. um, you really get an understanding and an idea from a very uh, 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 personal level mm -hmm. of like, this isn't right. Th yeah. th this can't be right. And, and you know, and I'll, just just sneak a little bit in there when we talk about because the one of the things that people don't really uh, you know maybe not necessarily acknowledge but pretty much understand the impact that media when you see mm. images and yeah. video of certain things there's just something that just bubbles up in you again just going back to Tom Lee like this isn't right mm -hmm. because I think for a lot of people during that time period it was all theoretical. It was all mm -hmm. just kind of like, in you know, that's that's happening somewhere else. That's happening, whatever. When, but when those images come into your home and you see those things, uh, it's like this isn't right. This this just something about this just feels wrong, mm -hmm. right? And, and so I tried to do that in an audio format to highlight what was going on with some of those voices that you will hear uh, in this episode. Yeah, and you did it so well. Again, making us. Um, feel like we were there and understand what the context of the time, understand what different people, whether from just your everyday person to someone who is in a position of power, um, how they were understanding these events and how they were moved by them, which I think is is what you have been talking about. And, I, and that's what makes these pieces of history come alive. But also I saw so many, of course, parallels to our present day as well. Um, and, and so making those connections of what is past is always present. And with that, also the understanding that as an individual, we still have a lot of opportunity to do something just like the people that you're featuring throughout this episode, but also through Black is America overall. And, and you know, and, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, while, you know, and, and this kind of comes up, you know, uh, for the uh, March on Jobs and Freedom, that like it wasn't just about Black people. Like, mm -hmm. this was not a march just for Black people to get justice, rights, whatever have you. This was for people to come later on down the line, uh, the Asian community, the, mm -hmm. the Hispanic community, you know, uh, you know, the Jewish community, whoever. Like, wrong is just wrong. 
-hmm. right? And, and I think people who were in the civil rights movement uh, understood that, you know, uh, there's a, a, a famous story about the fight for disability in San Francisco and how the Black mm -hmm. Panther Party came to their aid, right? You, you mm -hmm. would never, you wouldn't probably think about uh, the dis, uh, disabled community and the Black Panther Party merging worlds, but that here they are, right? And so I think it just goes to show again that like wrong is just wrong. And so mm -hmm. I think with the March on Jobs and Freedom really highlights that and that they wanted to um, make sure that we talked about equality for all, not just in words, but in action and through and through acts of Congress. Yes. And I think that's an important point because, again, we sometimes don't understand the entire context of some of these what are now historical events. And we do think of it as it was just fighting for African-Americans. But in fact, for these different leaders and folks involved in the movement, they had a very broad vision of what equity looked like for folks across the United States, but also around the globe as well. And so I think when we understand that this was equality for all, but also a change in the systems that led to that inequality, we can get a, a broader vision for ourselves as well and what that might what that might look like today in, in a 2023. I believe so. I, I definitely believe so. Again, because we're, we're still fighting some of these same issues, LBGTQA mm -hmm. rights. We're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, rights for uh, disabled people still. Like there's still these issues to while the civil rights movement definitely laid the foundation mm -hmm. uh, for many of these movements. There's still tons of work to be done, uh, you know, and, and that's through, you know, advocacy, you know, there's through, you know, uh, which is kind of what we do through Blacks America is, is a form of advocacy, if you will, or if you're you know, a person who is, uh, you know, in the halls of Congress, if you're an attorney, if you will, you know, and so it's these groups of people coming together for a common cause. And I, I think they definitely had it right when it came to the civil rights movement, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and one thing that you know, thinking about like some of the the different issues that we're still fighting for here, sixty years later um, from the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. You know, what I was really moved by was um, Dr. King's speech at the March on Washington, and particularly because. In the episode, you say, if you can hear this speech in its entirety, you should listen to it. And so I said, okay, let me go listen to <laughs> the speech in its entirety. And in that, if you all have listened to it, then you know that Dr. King is also drawing those parallels to how much has and has not changed even over, you know, 100 years. And so now here we are 60 years later, and I'm listening to his words, um, particularly around police brutality, particularly around voting rights. Um, and I'm, I'm, like, yes, here we are 60 years later and some of these exact same issues, we are still fighting for freedom. We are still fighting for equality and equity um, at this present day. So I'm going to include um, a link to the audio of that speech in the show notes so that folks can listen for themselves as well. I, I, I appreciate that. And when you mentioned about Dr. King, I, I think a lot of times people, you know, let me be clear. The I have a dream speech, fantastic speech, wonderful speech, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 one of the easily top three speeches of all time ever given, right? Uh, but when you go and listen to some of King's speeches and talks and interviews from like 65 to 68, mm -hmm. they're a different tone. Oh yeah. Right? They're they're a completely different tone, right? And, and they speak to uh, uh, that economic empowerment and, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, the famous line from one of his speeches, we, when we come to Washington, we come to get our check, mm -hmm. right? You know, <laughs> and, and so, uh, so I, I think, again, it definitely just speaks to what you were saying earlier that like some of these things that he was speaking later on in his life, we're still talking about and still fighting for uh, to this day. And it honestly just goes to show just how uh, prescient Dr. Mm -hmm. King was at, at such an early age. I think we forget that oh, yeah. he was 39 when he was assassinated. Like mm -hmm. that's not, that's not very old, <laughs> uh, but he had this, this profound knowledge and this profound understanding of the times and what mm -hmm. it can mean moving forward. And so, uh, and that's why we're still to this day, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones of the pro uh, uh, 1619 project, still mm -hmm. going through those speeches and teaching us that like, look, these words had some meaning and some power, and we need to study them uh, mm -hmm. if we're trying to get certain things done today. 
Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's why I just love how you have interwoven so many pieces of folks' words from 60 years ago, right? That are so relevant still today. Um, and a lot of people may not be familiar with, with the content of some of these speeches or even who people were in this time period, thinking about folks who are still alive now, um, who are in the civil rights movement. So I love that you have really again, brought history to life and made those connections um, to our present day. Um, this episode, I just absolutely loved. Um, and I mean, just thinking again about like roller skating, right? I'll never think about <laughs> roller skating in the same way. <laughs> right. You know, and, and that's one of the things I'll give just a little detail about, you know, because, you know, you go from Chicago to DC roller skating and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I really tried to, uh, highlight, you know, I had to do some math for this episode uh, because <laughs> because the thing is, like, you know, if he travels from Chicago to D.C. in this amount of days, that means he's probably averaging about have to be averaging between 67 and 70 miles per day because that's mm -hmm. the only way that would make sense. And so uh, so that's why I had to, you know, and that's how I was able to kind of pinpoint where he was on whatever day he was. Right. Mm -hmm. And so okay. yeah. and, and also using certain. Um, uh, 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 newspaper clippings and articles from that yeah. day to, to chart out his uh, to chart out his journey like okay he has to be here on this day so it was it was not only uh, history being done it was some math doing being had to be done uh, for this episode too but I think it really highlighted uh, his journey in a, in a definitely in a unique way. Yes. And also just thank you for sharing a little bit of that process too, right? You doing your own calculations, but also thinking about, okay, where does he show up in some of these local newspapers? Where is he being right. covered in, in maybe local media as well? So getting into the archives. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, it, there's, there's so much, so many gems in the, in the archives from the national archives to, to even now uh, sometimes defunct uh, news uh, papers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like the Baltimore African-American is, it was a huge piece uh, of, uh, you know, research for this episode, but, you know, but that's the beauty of history, yeah. right? Like there, there, there's so many viewpoints and angles and stuff like that. And it can really uh, kind of shed a light from, from this vantage point. This is what I saw. From this mm -hmm. vantage point, this is what I saw. It also, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Bible and the Gospels, like, you know, John, <laughs> Mark, uh, yeah. Matthew, Luke, and, and the, their perspectives of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's kind of what history is for me. So uh, I'm, I'm a history nerd. I can talk about this all day. <laughs> but my point is that, like, history is just not, again, history is not just these siloed uh, stories from the past. Like, mm -hmm. they come from different vantage points, different... Um, different perspectives and they still ask some of the pertinent questions that we're asking today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I love about Black is America, making all that, you know, first making us aware of some of these great stories um, and some fun stories, right? Thinking about roller skating, <laughs> um, but also the relevancy for our, our times today. Now, I noticed that you mentioned um, that some of Ledger Smith's family reached out to you. So might there be maybe some follow-up on this story coming in season two? There is for season two. Oh, so let me go back. So originally one of the granddaughters of Ledger Smith reached out and say, hey, love the episode, love what you did. Uh, you know, I don't think I ever heard him being referred to as Uncle Ledge, because that's one of the things I do in Black is America. Uh, but I loved it. It was cute. I, I loved mm -hmm. it. Definitely love the storytelling. I'm going to let the other family members know about oh, it. And so mm -hmm. recently, uh, a few days ago, uh, Ledger Smith's daughter reached out and said wow. she loved the episode. Uh, and actually wanted to highlight a few things as well, mm -hmm. because in the episode, I say that he's a semi-pro, uh, 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 semi-professional roller skater. But she's like, no, no, no. He was a full-time professional. Okay, come skater. on. So I was like, uh, yay. <laughs> Put some respect on my man name. All right. Like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So we're definitely going to, for season two, uh, going to uh, highlight some of those things and correct some of those things. But that, that's the one of the things I always said from the beginning of Blacks America. If we get something wrong or we have something out of context, let us know. Yeah. Right. You know, so, and, mm -hmm. and we have no shame and no problem uh, correcting the record, because the thing is, like these people are phenomenal human beings that we're highlighting. We want to make sure we get it right. 
Uh, and if we, that means we get it right two, three years down the road, then we get it right two, three <laughs> years down the road because there's so much stuff that we have to go through. And, and, so, and for some of these people, there's so little to go on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and so when you have a family member say, hey, no, let's 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 add this to the record. Yes, let's absolutely add that to the record. And so that's something we're definitely going to do for season two. All right. Well, I cannot wait to hear that conversation. Dominic, thank you so much. Let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, you'll be listening to Black is America. It's August 17th, 1963 in downtown Chicago. It's a pretty nice Saturday morning, as many are probably unwinding from a long and hard work week. But also on this Saturday are those that are preparing to travel. See, there is this big gathering that is happening in Washington, D.C. to advocate for civil rights. There are going to be some great speakers in attendance. A future congressman, a woman deemed the voice of the century will sing, now, where have I heard that before? And even this Southern preacher from the state of Georgia that everybody keeps talking about. Some are taking the train to the event. Others are taking the bus or they're packing up the car for a 23-hour ride. A select few are actually flying into D.C. for this historic event. But let's head over to 431 Dearborn Street. For proper context today, this address sits near Harold Washington Library Center, named after Chicago's first African-American mayor. Also, fun fact, I helped him get elected. I mean, I was a toddler stuffing envelopes, but hey, I helped. My bad, I'm getting off task again. Anyways, now 431 Dearborn Street is home to a branch office of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP. But as we head over, there's an interesting sight in front of the office. There's a man on roller skates. Now, remember the planes, trains, and automobiles as modes of transportation for the people I mentioned earlier? Well, this gentleman, or Ledger Roller Man Smith, is heading there on, well, roller skates. Yeah, you heard that right, roller skates. He has a sign across his chest that says freedom, and he's raring to go. And just to be safe, officials from the NAACP are going to escort him just in case there's some trouble. And as Ledger Smith starts his 10-day journey heading down Lakeshore Drive on his way towards East Chicago, Indiana, he points out to the country and to the world that there are many paths to freedom. We come from innovators, heroes, and royalty. We are our ancestors' greatest hope. We face many challenges, but we mold that adversity into our greatest strength. We are the glue that holds a nation together and allows it to flourish. Welcome to Black is America. The podcast that highlights little-known African-American figures and stories that make our history come to life. I'm your host, Dominic Lawson. Episode 7, Ledger Smith, Rolling Towards Freedom. This month will mark the 59th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And I knew I wanted to make some type of content surrounding that. But it wasn't until I started my deep dive that I came across the story of Ledger Smith. Ledger, at this time, is 27 years old with a wife and three kids. His wife is also on the way to the march, but she took the train. Now, Uncle Ledge was not some novice on the wheels. He was a semi-pro performer out of Los Angeles performing jumps over chairs, doing cartwheels, and even a fire hoop act all on roller skates. But even with all that in the repertoire, it still doesn't compare to an almost 700-mile trek from Chicago to D.C. But he has trained greatly for this journey. See, two weeks leading up, he ran five miles a day to prepare himself for the rigors his body would have to endure. 
It's no accident that he's traveling there on skates. He has a message. When asked, he said he wanted to, quote, dramatize the march by picking the slowest way, end quote. And boy, he wasn't kidding. But there is another message. But before we get into it, let's leave Uncle Ledge to focus on the road. He's going to need it. We will check back in with them later. Now, if you know black culture, then you are probably aware of the impact it has made on the hobby of roller skating. This is highlighted in the 2019 Vice documentary found on HBO, United Skates. As you go across the country, you'll find it's a really thriving rink. It's because they have a really strong African-American skate community. It was a place where the streets, everybody met up. But that wasn't always the case. And to highlight this, let's go back a ways. It's going to take us a while to get there. Hey, while we get there, don't you just love history? Going back in time, learning stuff. It's kind of cool, huh? Okay, right about here. The roller skate was created in 1863, and roller rinks were created a year later. But roller skating was mostly something the rich did for entertainment. It would gain more popularity at the end of the 1800s as more roller rinks were mass-produced during the rapid economic growth of the Gilded Age, and it would reach a peak from the end of World War I to the beginning of the Great Depression. But its popularity would pick up again in the 50s and 60s. But roller rinks, just like swimming pools, museums, and amusement parks, were segregated. And Black and Hispanic people were not allowed to come in. In Victoria W. Walcott's book, Race, Riots, and Roller Coasters, the call to desegregate these places of leisure was crucial to the civil rights movement. And that call came straight from the top. Remember that Southern preacher from Georgia I mentioned at the top of the show? Well, months earlier before the March on Washington, while sitting in a Birmingham jail, he penned a letter and he talks about the need to desegregate places of leisure. And here, thanks to the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute at Stanford University, is Dr. King reading an excerpt from his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. When you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to start, distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. And many organizations shared the sentiment of Dr. King. The NAACP, the Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE, and maybe even one of the unlikeliest of allies of civil rights, the U.S. Communist Party. Yes, that same Communist Party. They actually led a campaign to integrate a roller rink in 1938 in Brooklyn, New York. The owners of the Mecca Roller Skating Palace wouldn't sell tickets to black members of the CPUSA. They put up quite a fight to integrating their roller rink, but they eventually backed down when they were threatened with court action. The CPUSA would celebrate this victory with a big integrated skate party at the very same roller rink. So as you can see, that was the other message Uncle Ledge shared as he headed to Washington, D.C. on roller skates. Speaking of Uncle Ledge, let's check back in with him. It's day three of his trip on August 19, 1963. From Chicago, he's traveled through East Chicago, Indiana, Hammond, and Gary, Indiana, en route to... Wait, hold on for a second. Y'all hear that? Whoa, 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 whoa. King, not yet, King. Hold on for a second. We're not there yet. Thank you. Ooh, pop stars, am I right? Okay, where was I? 
Like I was saying, he's gone through Michigan City, South Bend, Indiana, Elkhart, and is now on U.S. Highway 30 just outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uncle Ledge is still riding with his freedom sash, and he is greeted pleasantly by both black and white people as he passes. They say things like God bless you and see you in D.C., but of course, there was the occasional heckler of people who felt some type of way about the March on Washington. You know what? Hold up for a sec, because there's a car coming up on him pretty fast. Watch out, Uncle Ledge! Man, that is crazy. A car just pulled up and tried to hit Ledger Smith. Wow, people really don't want him to make it to D.C. Luckily, they miss him. However, I shouldn't be surprised by this action. See, according to a Gallup poll, 57% of Americans said that civil disobedient activities, such as sit-ins and mass demonstrations, hurts the chances of integration. Even a year later, after the March on Washington, a whopping 74% of people thought that mass demonstrations were detrimental to achieving racial equality. The NAACP officials who are traveling with Uncle Ledge, I imagine, check him out to make sure he is okay. And it appears that Uncle Ledge is unbothered and continues into Ohio, getting ever closer to D.C. And while he is doing that, and speaking of that very march, let's discuss how it came to be in the first place. We'll check back with Uncle Ledge later. Let's go to 1941. See, many black soldiers were left out of World War II defense jobs and programs created by President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal after the Great Depression. One of the leaders of the civil rights movement at the time, A. Philip Randolph, plans a march on Washington to protest these matters. However, the march is canceled the day before when Randolph meets with President Roosevelt as he has agreed to enact an executive order forbidding discrimination against those in government and the defense industry. He establishes the Fair Employment Practice Committee, or FEPC, to enforce these matters. However, with the passing of President Roosevelt in 1945, the FEPC is dissolved when Congress halted the funding for the commission the next year in 1946. Now, during the 50s, Randolph would call for a march on Washington to capitalize on Dr. King's rise to national prominence, but it doesn't come to pass. I mean, there was a gathering in 1957 to celebrate the third anniversary of Brown versus the Board of Education ruling in an effort to urge the federal government to enforce the decision, but that's about it. But as violent attacks towards civil rights demonstrators continued, including during a children's march in Birmingham, Alabama, where TV cameras and newspapers captured protesters as old as 18 and as young as 7, with fire hoses being used on them, that would change things greatly. During 1963, we heard of a man coming to town. His name was Martin Luther King Jr., and he would be speaking at 16th Street Baptist Church and we could join him there. This is Mamie Chalmers, a civil rights activist. She was one of those young people there at Kelly Ingram Park. We were in Kelly Ingram Park. Every day we would meet right in that park. And we was there getting ready, getting out of assignments. Where was we going to march from that day? Bull Connor, he called out to Birmingham Fire Department, told them, turn the water hose on them and they won't have to take a bath. He ordered that, that was an order, direct order from him, and that's what they did. And today I'm deaf in one ear because of that. Dr. King explained to us that this is a nonviolent uh, march. You might get kicked, you might get spit on, but tell the person that's doing, I still love you just the same. One of the great tools used in the civil rights movement, besides nonviolent protest, was media. Videos and images of this march was not only thrust into the homes of American families, but in media around the world, including one of the biggest of them all, the British Broadcasting Company, or the BBC. Remember, this is 1963. 
during the height of the Cold War with Russia. So Russian newspapers would take American exceptionalism to task. To give you an idea of how horrific this scene is, at the time of the march, attorney David Van is on the phone with American businessman A.G. Gaston. I have to warn you, what Gaston describes is chilling, to say the least. And he was expressing a great deal of resentment about the king coming in and messing up the thing just when we were getting a new start. And then he said to me, he said, but, but Lawyer Van said they've turned fire hoses on a little black girl. They're rolling that little girl right in the middle of the street now. I can't talk to you no more. At that, it was there to stand up on my building looking down on Bull Con them shooting water in the park right across from my office there in that park. I guess that's the most outstanding thing in my mind right now. I just couldn't imagine what could happen. I can imagine the American people were starting to understand what was going on in the American South to black people. And a sentiment my wife shares all the time, especially those who are probably on the fence about civil rights, is this. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And from there, the movement towards a march on Washington was in motion. Now, President Kennedy was not exactly thrilled at the idea of the march. He said it was, quote, ill-timed, end quote. He might have had a point. See, his civil rights bill had stalled in Congress. Now, he would ultimately, but reluctantly, endorse the march, but he sent his attorney general and younger brother, Robert Kennedy, to organize with Bayard Rustin, chief organizer of the event. Quick side note. If you ever want a great case study on the logistics of how to pull off a historic event like the March on Washington, study how Uncle Bayard pulled this off. It's a logistical masterpiece, if you ask me. The demonstration would be limited to the Lincoln Memorial. The original plan was to first go to the Lincoln Memorial and then to the Capitol to urge the passing of the Civil Rights Act. President Kennedy didn't want the protest to make it to the Capitol for fear of, and I'm not making this up, having Congress feel as if it was under siege. Wow. History. is such a powerful teaching tool. Because speaking of sieges and the Capitol, 56 years later tells us that civil rights activists should have been the least of their worries. But I digress. But as we look over the Potomac River, I think I see our guy. He's done it. His 10-day trip that started off in downtown Chicago and saw him go through Ohio into Pennsylvania through the cities of Pittsburgh, Uniontown, Cumberland, Hagerstown, Maryland, and Frederick, and finally into D.C. He can hear the singing of the sea of 250,000 people there for a common cause. Someone else is there also. Well, on that hot day in August 63, I was eager. As they say, I was all fired up. Remember Mamie Chalmers from the Children's March? While she did sustain injuries in Alabama, it appears her conviction never wavered. And ready to participate again, do anything that I could. One of the things that inspired me was when Dr. King said, I have a dream. And... That was one of the things that really inspired me to march. Now, I'm sure Uncle Ledge is tired, achy, and probably a bit hungry. Hey, Uncle Ledge, make sure you grab one of those lunches the New York Labor Union sent. As a matter of fact, get two of them. You deserve it, my man. Hey, it looks like someone's about to speak. Who is that young fellow up there? We march today for jobs and freedom. But we have nothing to be proud of. Of hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here. If you remember, I mentioned a future congressman at the top of the show who would speak at the march. The voice you hear is a 23-year-old John Lewis, who at the time was the national chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC. And you could tell early on that Uncle John absolutely had no problem speaking truth 
to power. My friends, let us not forget that we are involved in a serious social revolution. But by and large, American politics is dominated by politicians who build their career on immoral compromising and align themselves with open form of political, economic, and social exploitation. There are exceptions, of course. We salute those. But what political leader can stand up and say, my party is the party of principles? For the party of Kennedy is also the party of Eastland. The party of Javis is also the party of Goldwater. Where is our party? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march on Washington? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march in the streets of Birmingham? Where is the political party that will protect the citizens of Albany, Georgia? Do you know that in Albany, Georgia, nine of our leaders have been indicted, not by the Dixocrats, but by the Frederick government for peaceful protests. But what did the Frederick government do when Albany Deputy Sheriff beat Attorney C.B. King and left him half dead? What did the federal government do when local police officials kicked and assaulted the pregnant wife of Slater King and she lost her baby? Those who have said be patient and wait, we must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. We are tired. We are tired of being beaten by policemen. We are tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. And then you holler, be patient. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom and we want it now. If you ever have the privilege of watching this speech, you can see Bayard Rustin still orchestrating and making sure that the March on Washington goes as smooth as possible. And as we pan back to Uncle Ledge, oh wow, it looks like he's about to be interviewed. Let's see what he has to say. Malcolm Davis standing by on stage with another interview with a noted personality. Please come in, Malcolm Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have an extremely interesting guest standing with us here now who has just been talking to all of the people here. Sir, would you tell us your name? Ledger Smith. Now, sir, would you tell us how you came to Washington and from where you came and by what means of transportation? Okay, I left Chicago on the 17th of August on roller skates. I arrived in Washington, D.C. on the 27th at, one, at a quarter to one. Tell me, sir, what sort of problems did you have? Did you have to take along spare wheels or spare skates? Well, I do have three sets of wheels that I carried with me, which I didn't need. I didn't need any spare wheels at all. And my skates held up pretty good. What sort of problems did you meet in this journey? Well, there was times when uh, people would cut out at me with a car. Uh, say a place in Indiana, a guy tried to run me down, but he missed. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Tell me, were you allowed on the main parkways, or did you have to travel by side streets all the way? No, I was more or less on the main streets, but not the toll roads. There was the old, you would say, the old highways that each city used. Now, of course, a journey like this on roller skates takes an enormous amount of strength and dexterity, and you have to travel with luggage. What did you do about that? Well, uh, I had been working out for, I say, over a week, running five miles every day. And how long had you been doing this running and training for, for this particular um, Well, I did trip? this running training for at least two weeks. Now, you are here, now that you are here, sir, would you mind telling us, uh, are you going to actually participate in the march or not? Well, I hope to march in the, in the march if I can find my delegation. Uh -huh. Since I've been up here, I, I can't find them, so I don't know yet what's going to happen. What's the chances that you won't actually walk in the march but skate? Right. Well, I, I don't think I'll be able to skate in the march. I don't think. Uh, can you tell me, sir, if you're, you have any particular plans that you intend to follow through while you are actually here? Uh, while I'm here, I gotta find. I like to find my wife because uh, she come up and I haven't found her yet. She didn't come on skates. No, she didn't. She came by the train. Are you going to skate back? No, I don't want to see the skates for a month now. I don't blame you, Uncle Ledge. You go rest those skates and find your wife. And as Ledger Smith joins his wife and the over 250,000 there in attendance, they present to America and the world a united front against inequality and injustice. And just like America, this crowd is very diverse. 
from the labor unions I mentioned earlier that brought lunches in addition to nurses and doctors to the march, to the clergymen from all walks of faith. It makes sense when you think about it. That is because while black America may be the face of this march, its goal was equality for all, not just black people, the disabled, women, the LBGTQA+, and every other marginalized community. The march was a success, not only because it went off without a major incident, but freedom would begin to ring in the halls of Congress. The Civil Rights Act would pass in 1964, followed by the Voting Rights Act in 1965. On the great seal of the United States is the Latin phrase e pluribus unum, which means out of many, one. It's in reference to the emergence of a single nation out of the union of the 13 original colonies. For Ledger Smith, he understood the importance of this phrase, and while he took a very unique and dangerous route to the march on Washington, he knew that traveling to D.C. on skates would highlight the complexities and the importance of the need for equality for all. This country was built on protest, and it would be that same vehicle needed to make it live up to the ideals we have placed upon it. And on August 28, 1963, as Ledger Rollerman Smith made his way to the Lincoln Memorial, he was able to lend his voice to become that powerful force to make a difference. It's funny how history works, because whether it's a summer day in 1963 D.C., or a cold Chicago night in 2008, it's pretty amazing what you can accomplish when people get together for a common cause. Ladies and gentlemen, we leave you with the President of the United States. It's been a long time coming, but tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. The Black is America podcast, a presentation of Owl's Education, was created and is written, researched, and produced by me, Dominic Lawson. Executive producer, Kendall Lawson. Cover art was created by Alexandria Eddings of Art Life Connections. Sources to create this episode come from the National Civil Rights Museum, History.com, the New York Times, the Baltimore African American, WAMU National Public Radio in D.C., and others. For a complete list of sources, go to this episode's show notes in your podcast player or our website, www.blackisamericapodcast.com. Scenes from United States are courtesy of Vice, HBO Documentary Films, a Warner Brother Discovery Company. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe to the Black is America podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, let people know about the podcast. We would greatly appreciate that very much. For a full transcript of this episode and other resources, go to www.blackisamericapodcast.com. There, you can read our blog, leave us a review, or you can leave a voicemail message where you can ask a question or let us know what you think about the show that we may play in an episode. You can also hit the donation button if you like what you heard, which helps us to create more educational content like this. Finally, thank you so much for listening to the Black is America podcast, where our history comes to life. Until next time.